Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can check out the radio version of the show every Tuesdays and Thursdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on WDJY 99.1 in Atlanta. We also air on a podcasting network in Los Angeles called the 405 Media. There's a TV version of the show that airs on KMVT 15 in Silicon Valley at 8 p.m. Pacific on Tuesday nights. Both versions of the show air in other states. For these show times plus past episodes, please visit the show's website at buildingthefutureshow.com. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com. I want to invite all of you in the Building the Future community to join me at SUPEX, the Startup Expo in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, this July 26th, where I'll be the MC. SUPEX is one of the largest and best startup conferences in the U.S. and the official gathering of the Building the Future community this summer. SUPEX has cutting-edge content, a cool startup competition, and a half-day forum this year called Hashtag Women for Women, the largest gathering in the U.S. in 2018 of angel groups, seed funds, and BC funds focused on female founders and female entrepreneurs. For more information, visit www.sup-x.org. I hope to see all my Building the Future friends there. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Bob Fitz. He's the founder and producer of SUPEX, the Startup Expo. Bob, welcome back to the show. Kevin, it's always fun to be on the show. I think this is my second or third time in the past three years or so. Yeah, and you even uh, guest hosted one where you interviewed me for the 100th episode uh, a couple years back. So that was pretty cool, too. (laughs) I, I remember it well. Thank you for the opportunity. That was fun. How many shows are you up to now? Uh, 240 some I just posted. 45 I think I posted today and there's a few more uh, recorded that I have still have to kind of edit and get up online. So 250 it's, almost. That's crazy. I know. Considering we met on LinkedIn, I remember it. I was working <laughs> a booth at a trade show for uh, a startup I was working at. Um <laughs> And I remember, I can't. I think I got your connection request on LinkedIn, and then I was literally like, "Hey, man, I'm launching this radio show. Do you want to be a guest?" And you were like, "Absolutely." And then you were like, "Do you want to come down to Supex a few months later?" And I, I came down, and we met in person, and we've been kind of doing things together ever since. So, kind of a wild, you know, LinkedIn has brought me a lot of the things I've gotten. Kind of in my career, um, it sounds like oh, you kind know, of you the same. Yeah, you know I'm a LinkedIn fan. Totally. I, mean, I have, um, I have gobs and gobs of LinkedIn contacts, and it it helps me all the time. Sure. So maybe before we kind of get into everything we're going to talk about today, for people that don't know you or not connected with you on LinkedIn, because you have uh, a ton of LinkedIn connections, let's get to know you a little bit better, and maybe start off with where you grew up. Yeah, so I was a corporate brat. Everybody's heard of military brats, but Mm -hmm. I was a corporate brat, meaning that, you know, my dad worked for some good-sized corporations, and and when he got transferred, we moved. So uh, I actually was born in Los Angeles, believe it or not. My young 1960s parents went out to L.A. from Tennessee to see the the big city, and evidently I I was produced and created there. And uh we only stayed about six months, evidently, and moved back to Tennessee. And my father worked for, you know, uh, AC Nielsen, the uh, marketing research company, and then decided to get a, his PhD. We moved to Tuscaloosa, Alabama. That led to his first job after his dissertation, and that was in Birmingham, Alabama. And then they transferred him uh, uh, to Birmingham, Michigan, which is a Detroit suburb. I went to high school in uh, in Birmingham, Michigan. And uh, Birmingham Sea Home, if there's any Sea Home listeners, and then uh, then they got transferred to the headquarters, which was in Atlanta, and I was really there just in the summers. At that point, I had gone off to college, and I was in college in Virginia, and then uh, um, I got out of college. And so uh, what was, did you take in college? Just out of curiosity, well, beer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was I, I wasn't a really good student. Uh, <laughs> took me. I was on the, the half decade program and, oh, uh, 
And uh, I was a history major, and uh, my only saving grace at all was I was really involved. I was ran a ton of committees and stuff like that, and so I got a lot of you know good experience doing that. But I was a pretty mediocre student to be honest. So out of college, you know, they weren't, the employers weren't you know pounding my door down, <laughs> and uh, I got a job as a paralegal in a huge law firm, and it kind of woke me up and. Uh, made me realize uh, that I needed to get my stuff together. That with a an infamous lecture from a close friend of mine kind of <laughs> made me decide that it was time to grow up. And then I set my eyes on really business school, went off to Washington, D.C. after living in Richmond, Virginia for a while and uh, uh, went to George Washington University, got my MBA at night while I continued to work as a paralegal and then as a a, a, an analyst for a small muni bond investment bank. And then I got the job that kind of transformed my career. I got a job working for a Goldman Sachs subsidiary in, a, in the real estate crisis in the late 80s and early 90s. And uh, it was an amazing experience. It was incredibly hard work, insane hours. But we were growing like crazy and they just kept throwing opportunities at you. And if you were just willing to hustle and, you know, kind of be a slave to your job. There was all kinds of amazing things could happen. And I, you know, I got to go to Paris and help start a sister company there. And it was, that that was the job that really changed my career. And, uh, I got back from that. Uh, by this point I was in Dallas and, uh, got back from that. And a friend from business school was helping Prudential Financial start a, uh, commercial mortgage lending subsidiary. And I, I was single and, living in Texas and had just finished my MBA up. And I thought, you know, what the heck that, you know, I really, because of my outstanding undergraduate grades, I really didn't have a chance to break into the New York kind of market right out of college. And I was like, let's just go give it a whirl and see what happens. So at age 31, 32, I moved to uh, Manhattan, got a job for Prudential Financial as a, I think I was a vice president or something like that and helped build a business for them. And then, um, and we were doing specialty finance, and uh, I got tired of doing repetitive kind of structured finance. And so uh, I'd always wanted to run a business, and I got a, I stayed with the same firm, but we got a new CEO, and I became effectively the chief of staff. And we started buying companies, and so I kind of got into M&A at that time and uh, started leading integrations, and that was fun. And um, went to a sister company at Prudential and kept doing that. And we bought a company in Germany. And so I got to go do these cool integration projects for all these acquisitions. And, and, uh, you know, I was kind of the guy, a lot of my career that because I was eager, you know, when something needed fixing at fi- getting figured out, I'd always raise my hand and I just did that repeatedly. That's and awesome. it led to the, and it led to amazing experiences and the aggregate of all those experiences at some point, I had accumulated enough varied experience in operations and finance that I became a chief operating officer for a pretty good sized business unit of Prudential that was a you know quarter quarter of a billion dollar a year business. Wow! And and, um, and uh, it was a good run there. And then I decided I wanted to do something more entrepreneurial and left in 2005 to help start a resort community development business and became a real estate developer for a while uh, and uh, until the the big crash happened in 08 and sure. essentially wiped us out and wiped a lot of people out too. Yeah. And so uh, that was my exit from the development business and I started a consulting business and to make an already long story short oh, no, that 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 I started the, the, there's an actually a startup uh, analogy here. I started that business to take advantage of the real estate collapse and threw a ton of money into marketing and, and ended up pushing on a string for two years. And, uh, and so I really didn't know what I was going to do. And a friend of mine, a friend of mine out of happenstance called me and said, look, I need help with my business. And his business is cleaning concrete floors for big box retailers, something I knew nothing about. But I hadn't seen this guy in years, and he's, he was one of my best friends from high school, and we'd lost touch. And I flew out to Detroit and saw him and took a look at his business and kind of helped him come up with an idea that we create a new branded service business for him, et cetera. And it was a huge margin business, and it really worked and took off and transformed his business and then he introduced me to a, a supplier, and I helped the guy rebuild his distribution chain. And within a matter of time, my original business idea got shelved, and I started doing kind of small business management consulting. And they 
the irony is, is I was consulting, doing a lot of stuff that I really had little experience with. But because I had been in large institutional environments, I had more, uh, I guess, analytical abilities in some areas that I had no formal experience in than I thought. And it, it was surprising to me, and uh, it enabled me to really counsel businesses on a variety of subjects, that along with some decent research instincts and the humility to ask people when you don't know stuff. Um, and I uh, started doing small business management consulting, and uh, I've been doing it ever since. Um, the uh, the, st- the SUPEX story is a different story, and I'm happy to tell it as well, if you'd like. No, I, I think that's probably a great transition to getting into that, because I, I think a lot of people, you know, it's a, well, as you know, it's a ton of work putting on your own kind of conference. But how did SUPEX become a thing, and, and what made you kind of decide to actually get it up and going? Well, uh, I guess if you listen to the first part of the story and you hear this, you don't understand how they tie it together, and I'll explain it. But it, sure. it is a lot of listeners, a lot of people feel a lot of pressure that they have to know what they're going to be when they grow up. And the answer is you don't. Sure. <laughs> but, what, I, but, but what you do have to do is always try your best at whatever you're doing and amalgamate the best and broadest set of skills that you possibly can or know one skill better than anybody and sure. you've got to, you kind of got to figure out which one of those you were going to be and I was the the former and not the latter but anyway I moved to Florida and uh, I really didn't know anybody here and my brothers had always been in tech startups and as you'd heard from my background I was kind of in the investment management space and the finance space and some you know my brothers said check out some angel group meetings etc so I started going to some angel meetings and some other tech startup oriented meetings. And I came across a organization about an hour from my house that called the Gold Coast Venture Capital Association. Okay. And its mission was to uh, bring together investors, entrepreneurs and service providers and provide some interesting content for them to mix and mingle and learn. And it was kind of an old guy supper club when I got involved with it. They had okay. a really they had a really tired business model and I'm sure some listeners have seen this before and probably in years past, but you'd show up for a networking event and you'd network for about an hour and then you'd sit down to a dinner and you know at a big eight, you know, round, you know, the sat sat eight people and then you'd listen to somebody give a presentation for an hour and then you could network a little bit afterwards or leave. And so it was, you know, there was occasionally some interesting people either pitching or giving a presentation about something, but you know, the model was kind of slow and old I mean, sure. and expensive. But so because there was a dinner involved, you know, you know, 65 bucks or something like that for oh, the members. Wow. Yeah. And so it's just not, you know, cheap. cheap and then, yeah. and, and then the quality of your experience is somewhat limited to how interesting the two people are you're sitting next to at dinner, right? Yeah, because fair. You can't talk to the person across the table from you realistically. So I got involved in the organization and I'd see it was seeing it die before my eyes and I knew no one down here. So I was trying to find organizations I could get on the board of that wasn't going to be like a big pay to play experience where you had to pay $5,000 to join the board or something. I was looking for a reputable organization that was relatively inexpensive to get on the board that I could go to work making an impact. And the the premise was in doing so, other board members would notice my skills and, you know, maybe I'd get hired for some of my consulting. Sounds like a pretty logical strategy, right? Yeah. It never worked. (laughs) But sounds logical. But in the meantime, uh, I thought it was very logical, but it was logical, but it uh, didn't happen. But anyway, I got involved in the organization and uh, in order to prevent it from dying, I First thing I did was change the business model. And two things that we did was they were charging startups to pitch, which, of course, meant that the pipeline was awful uh, because they weren't. Well, it wouldn't have been so bad if they had been a real angel group that had a fund and were stroking checks like the Kairetsu model is somewhat like that. I know that's an oversimplification for any Kairetsu people listening, but but. They weren't. They weren't. They weren't cutting checks. They were just providing a vehicle for people to pitch, and then if something happened afterwards, it was kind of its own, its own. So of course, they their pipeline was terrible. And then second, secondly, that dinner model I told you about was kind of old and boring and inexpensive. So the first thing we did was we dropped the fee to pitch, 
And then secondly, we got rid of the dinner. And so all we do is just show up, network, and then go straight straight in and have a reception and then go straight into whatever the activity was. And then, okay. you know, basically we just have heavy hors d'oeuvres. And so we dropped the price. Like then, then events came like $20, $25. Yeah, and, yeah. And all, and then we and we moved them. We were in a hotel, and we started also also. You know, the hotel was a great central meeting place, but we made we started slowly moving around. Okay, occasionally we'll go to a co-work space, you know. Right, and we right. and we started moving around, and so, and then, then the other thing is, and that was helping, and uh, and we you know we put up got a new website. I we hired somebody, a graphic designer, and did a new logo and put in a new. CRM is kind of a fancy way of saying a very small management system for the little membership we had, but it it, it sounds much more impressive if I say we implemented a new CRM. But <laughs> sure, <laughs> but it really wasn't that complicated. Uh, but anyway, we did these things, and then but we still needed to make an impact. Like I wanted, you know, I wanted to do something big. So I got this idea that what we would do was we'd create this expo and. I went all over the state to these other events and I tried to find 25 of the best startups that I could find. Okay. And and then uh, at the same hotel where, where we had been doing some of the events, I rented a, like a ballroom or two and we put 25 startups in there and we recruited, I remember it was 14 corporate sponsors who paid a thousand dollars a table. Okay. And, and then we had a decent email database and at that point, you know, People, this was six, seven years ago. People really weren't doing Twitter much then, and right. uh, but we still managed to get 350 people to show up, and the and a couple members of the press and some That's articles. Awesome. It will. It was, you know, for us. Thank you for us. It was the biggest thing they had done in like I don't know, ten years or more, and so. Right. That, and, and, and we couldn't get anybody to partner with us because everybody knew we were kind of st stodgy and old and tired. And that <laughs> event made people open their eyes. They're like, wow, what was that? And so that's that's kind of the turning point for the organization. And then and then we created a second event and it was and, and it was called Meet the Angels. OK. And the and the, the interesting thing about Meet the Angels was is in Florida and perhaps it's like some of your other listeners. Florida is pretty spread out. And people here don't know where to go to find good capital sources. And and because unlike some other states, we have three or four major metropolitan areas here, but they're all separated by this gigantic swamp that the rest of the country knows as the Everglades. Sure. And sure. so and and <laughs> and so we I, I, I thought, look, this is crazy. Instead of everybody running all over the state to find the capital, let's get all the capital in one room. Sure. And, and so we got. 15 or 20 groups uh, into one room and a couple of panels. And uh, we had somebody sponsor a jump drive and put their corporate logo on it. And on that jump drive, every, uh, every one of the groups that were pitching had to do a five page deck. And okay. that deck said, that deck said who they were, uh, what their uh, investment profile was, what verticals do they invest in and not invest in, how much money had they invested in the past year, what's their average size check, what's the range of the check size, what's the typical process, and who do people contact. Sure. And so everybody who came to that event walked out with that jump drive now, now knowing, okay, well, if I've got a healthcare-related, you know, uh, startup. There's no point in me talking to this capital source because they don't do anything healthcare related. And sure. so, in that event, we had 500 people show up for, and it was actually so crowded it was a problem, and <laughs> it really was a, a bad problem though, right? Or, well, no, no, or a good people, problem to have? I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean it was good, but the people in the back were talking so much we had to uh. constantly kept saying, "Look, can you guys can the peanut gallery go outside?" But <laughs> it was, it, I guess, in a way, it was a high class problem because sure. it meant that we had finally, you know, we were starting to be relevant. And so then we did the expo again a couple of months later. And that year, we had 23 area organizations partner with us. We had 39 startups wow. uh, ex exhibit. Not all of them were from Florida. Five of them were outside of Florida. We had, I don't know, 18 or 20 corporate sponsors. And we added a panel or two panels, actually. And 
we had 600 people show up. We had every ballroom and every room, like not, not hotel room, but every event room in that hotel. And it was still crowded. And at that point we really did have a high class problem and I realized there was something there. And so, um, I decided at that point I was volunteering at this point for the organization and could no longer justify doing it. Sure. And so, um, and, and we were at a crossroads. The organization all of a sudden had gone in, in a year, not all of a sudden, but in two years had gone from being irrelevant to being so relevant that it couldn't actually handle its own uh, workload. So I, and they didn't have the budget to hire an executive director, et cetera, to, so to shorten the story, essentially I took the event back and, um, and, uh, decided that I would fund it and produce it myself. Sure. And, and at that point, um, my wife actually encouraged me a, a decision she may have now regret by the way, but my <laughs> wife, my wife said, you know, you're pretty decent at this. Why don't you, do something with it instead of just let it go because the organization can't do this anymore. And sure. so, so I, I, my thought was, look, I'm going to go big or go home. And so we decided to move it into a convention center and, uh, we rented like the whole third floor of a convention center, which was a little more space than we needed. It was delusions of grandeur. And, uh, <laughs> Moved it into the convention center. I came up with the name SUPX, you know, which is S-U-P-X. And people either think it, it stands for stand up paddleboard something or other or but <laughs> SUPX does mean start up expo. And uh, so we rebranded it and moved it in the convention center. And uh, that first year as you were there and that first year we had about a thousand people and yeah, from it was huge. Yeah, we had a thousand people from like twenty-three states and nine countries that year. So, and uh, I've been this 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 will be year three that we're doing here in July. So, Supex is my startup. It is a I often say it's a very pleasant, ongoing uh, accident. <laughs> no, I, well, I, I think a lot of good things kind of come out of something that you weren't didn't really plan on, right? Like I I think. Those are always the best and kind of most successful things. I, I think it's kind of funny, right? How that sometimes just plays out like that. Well, if someone, if people are listening and heard the first part of my story, they're probably scratching their head as much as I am as to how I came to my full-time occupation, at least for six months of the year, is producing a very large national startup conference and uh, and really international to some extent, even though sure. the international visitors are small, but technically we're international. Yep. I mean, so. But uh, it's it's an interesting path. Uh, it's my startup. Like a lot of startups that are listening there, I'm not yet profitable if that profit includes paying the founder. Sure. And, uh, <laughs> sure. And, and uh, but I'm, as a friend once described me, I'm kind of like a dog with a bone caught between my teeth, like you're not getting the bone. And uh, <laughs> sure. I'm, I really want to see if I can do it uh, for a couple of reasons. I'm competitive and, and I want to be, I want it to be successful just because like anything else I try or most people try, they want it to be successful. And two, I really like it and uh, I love what I do. And, uh, and there's a lot of things I love about it, but you've met me and yep. you know, I'm, I'm reasonably outgoing. So it, you know, the fact that I can get a thousand plus people all in one spot and they're having a great time, excites me like i really enjoy the fact that it's a really it's like an educational party <laughs> and and that's it's fun and probably the most fun thing about it and the thing that really inspires me to keep doing it is and this is selfish i'll admit it but i really i get to meet really intelligent upbeat smart uh optimistic winners winners yeah in interesting life. Winners in life from all over the world. And sure. that that is a positively reinforcing energy that is healthy to be addicted to, and I have the addiction. And uh, I I really I, I really extract something amazing from the people that I'm able to interact with and, and uh, it inspires me and it's fun. Uh, we do, we have a really fun event. I go to a lot of events. I like my own event. I'm honest. And, uh, we, we try to, 
create great content where people can learn and we try to have an environment where we attract cool people and all of those people can learn and enhance whatever business they're in by intermingling. And it's really fun. No, I, I 100% agree. I, I think the interesting thing too is like to just kind of reiterate your point, like part of the reason I love doing the show so much is you get to talk to people kind of all over the world kind of doing what they do and they're passionate about and that kind of also that passion kind of rubs out on you. So I, I totally get that and, and it makes a lot of sense. And the one thing I've been to a ton of events too over the years and the one thing that I noticed about um, Supex is everybody was like open to network like it's like if you made eye contact with somebody you were like you just like shook hands and started chatting which a lot of networking events are kind of like everybody's kind of curled up in the corner and like on their phones right where it wasn't not like that at all right like i was actually surprised at how many people i met and i think i've told you this before like six or eight months after the the conference like i was still interviewing people for the show that i met you know, at Supex. So it was a crazy good event for me from like even just like a networking kind of recruiting guests for the show. And I'm it, it pleases me so much to hear that. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that's exactly what we want. And, sure. um, you know, and I, you know, I could transition and start telling you a little bit about how we go about doing that. If, if that's no, I, I was just that was going to be my next question to you is like you each year you kind of do things a little bit different. So do you want to maybe talk about what's on the agenda today? Yeah, sure. Or, so or in July, I, I should say. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's July 26th in Fort Lauderdale, by the way. And if, for the listeners, you can go to sup-x.org and learn more. But so we try to change the agenda significantly each year. And uh, sometimes I have trepidation about doing that. Like, Almost every year since I started doing this, even when it was for the nonprofit, we had some sort of panel on raising capital. I mean, okay. let's face it, startups want to know how about raising capital, but sure. I've decided not to do one this year. Sure. And the re and the reason is, every conference you go to has a capital and raise uh, a panel on raising capital, mm -hmm. and uh, we tweak we tweak the agenda and the format every year, you know, and just see see what spaghetti sticks on the fridge and go with it. And sure. uh, so we have been a two day event in the past and we've had multiple tracks uh, and we've been in the winter. And this year we're a one day event with one track and plus some workshops, uh, which I'll explain. And we're in the summer and it's just to see if by changing the model, does it enhance the experience in some way? And so, um, so we, we play with the format. And then the other thing that we do is, we try to assess the topics and make sure that they're still uh, relevant. Now, it doesn't have to be bleeding edge, but we do want to be kind of leading, you know, to an extent. So, um, so this year, you know, we have a crypto blockchain panel, and sure. uh, and this year we have a cannabis panel, mm -hmm. and uh, you know. Crypto blockchain, you know, a year ago, it would have been cutting edge. This year, it's still kind of a leading topic, and it's more relevant, just particularly because of what's happened to in the on the crypto side. And I think the tension is also starting to send, shift a little bit to the overall efficacy of blockchain and yeah. not the not the quick money allure of crypto. Yeah. And, and therefore, I think it's a more permanently interesting subject instead of merely titillating and which is also why cannabis is on the agenda this year sure. and you know i've been a little reluctant to be honest to do a cannabis panel in the past just for a variety of reasons would the sponsors accept it okay what would my mom think i mean you could figure out whatever it is the reasons are but sure you know but the issue in, in actually in florida there's you know there's legal complications and so but my thinking's evolved. It's, you know, there's a more mature discussion around it. It's not simply a backdoor way of, you know, for elites to, you know, legally get their dope. Sure. It's, there, there's more serious discussions to be had. Serious investors are interested. Uh, it's too big, big of a subject not to at least address it at an event like ours. So it's front and center. It's an interesting topic this year. We're doing a, a panel on social innovation. Sure. Um, Cool stuff going on there. We've got a panel on healthcare innovation, which is always cool, but you know it's really relevant 
to our our Florida economy here, even though we're a national conference, a huge percentage of the people that attend our event are from Florida. And, uh, you know, that's healthcare is probably one of the five biggest verticals here in our state. So um, and so and we have we have a couple other topics, too. We have a keynote speaker that we'll soon be announcing who's from your great country. Uh, yep. We're not going to announce him today. Yep, but sure. And you've you've met him. I've and met then him, yeah. uh, and then. And then, then there's the opening uh, forum, which uh, I'm super excited about. So one thing that we do every year is we always start off with some sort of diversity-oriented forum. And that, sure. forum that forum typically takes the majority of the morning. Okay. And the reason we do it is uh, obvious. It's just some of these communities are underserved, underaddressed, and need more access. And uh, so two years ago, that was a women in entrepreneurship forum. And last year, we broadened that uh, in response to some feedback for other communities. And, and so we made that a diversity and entrepreneurship forum. And this year, it's what we're calling hashtag women for women. Okay. And we're trying to make it the largest gathering of angel groups, seed series funds, and VC funds in the U.S. in 2018 that are focused on female founders and female entrepreneurs. And uh, I'm really excited about it. I, it's... Uh, it should be super cool. Sure. No, I, I think it's great. I, I've, you know, the, the nice thing too is I've had some of the people um, obviously that are going to be there again this year actually on the show in, in the past and some of them are, are doing really, really awesome things while well, all of them are doing really great things. And the other thing that I think makes a lot of sense too is you got and get a lot of female their period right from kind of the investor side or they've done it themselves they've sold companies like I was actually really impressed by how you know maybe close to 50 50 it, it was you know um, so I, I think you do a really good job at kind of not because traditionally tech conferences are you know there's like a handful of women there but you really had probably close to half these it was so last year, your perception is close. Uh, you know, last year it was a, I think sixty forty ish, and but and that you know someone who doesn't go to tech conferences might say, oh, well, that's not very good. Well, for tech conference, that's actually great. It's that's typically huge. a dude. It's a dude fest. Yeah, I mean, totally. You know, so, so and it'll probably even have a larger female participation this year because of hashtag Women for Women. But sure, one of the one of the cool things about hashtag Women for Women is so. Uh, there's a woman named Marsha Dawood, who yep. you know, and you met her at Super X mm -hmm. the first year. And mm -hmm. Marsha's been, this she's been involved all three years and Marsha's very accomplished and very cool. And Mar, uh, she's an investor and she's been involved in several funds and she now runs uh, two different funds that are focused on female entrepreneurs. But Marsha's also on the board of the Angel Capital Association, which is the largest trade uh, association in the U.S. Uh, for angel groups. And I forget, I think there's something like 14,000 angel groups that are members or some some incredible wow. number. Or, uh, or maybe it's, that's the number of angels. But anyway, they, the, their representation is enormous. And uh, she's uh, the chair of their membership committee. She also chairs their discussion group on female focused angel groups sure and she, and she's she's the chair of hashtag women for women That's awesome. and and Marsha is helping uh, us design the content and encourage you know and recruit some of these uh, female focused uh, funds from around the country to participate so we've already got eight or ten wow. Uh, such organizations uh, committed and, and we're hoping by showtime that's closer to two dozen or so and uh, and we're really excited about it and looking forward. I mean, the whole show should be a good time, but that's uh, that's obviously a big part of it. Although I, someone asked me, is it a, a, a female focused conference? It's not. It's but that's just the morning forum. But it is a big part of our programming. Sure. No, but I, I think that's great. I, I, I think just having I, I think the thing that people sometimes forget, even just like males forget, is a lot of um startups are very much geared towards men not all but there's a whole population obviously like close to 50 percent that i think guys like males and females could really benefit from maybe catering a little bit more to the female side of things whether they're doing hardware software both some sort of other product in another category where i think we're 
obviously people are doing it, but I think there's a huge need and a huge market for a lot of new products, you know, maybe geared a little bit more of females over males. Is that fair to say? Well, yes, and I think another point. Look, I won't uh, to the to the women in the audience. I will not mansplain this. I promise. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but 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 they know better than the guys do. Sure. If you look at if you look at the statistics, the percentage of you know venture capital that goes to a women founded businesses is some ridiculously no number. I don't you know the exact number. You know, people I hear all kinds of numbers, but it's typically in the single digits is what people yeah. throw out. So. And then there's correlations that funds that have uh, women involved in the investment decision actually allocate more to uh, women-founded and women-led fu- uh, uh, ventures. Sure. And then there's other statistics that show that women-led ventures, or you know, they're at, at some woman at the C level, for instance, those those ventures in general outperform those that do not have a woman at, at say who's a founder at C level. So there's there's all kinds of reasons to do this from social like we should encourage you know more participation and more access to 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 the sheer economic which is okay social issues aside it's just a smart investment decision so there's a bunch of reasons to do it and we try to address those and uh it should be great the the format for hashtag women for women that morning is there's a keynote speaker who will soon announce as well sure. and then we're having then there's a panel on you know the the challenges of raising funds as a female entrepreneur and then there's uh, kind of an organized networking session where we make sure that the entrepreneurs in attendance actually get to meet uh, the representatives from these various organizations and we're still working on the exact format of that, but that sure. should be a, a cool connection opportunity separate from any networking that goes on in the larger event. Sure. Well, and you guys also are doing uh, a competition. So what exactly is it and how can, you know, startups kind of get the most out of that? Yep. So we do a startup competition each year. Uh, we'll probably end up selecting 35 to 50 startups to participate. Okay. Exact number. Exact number depends on the number of applicants and the just the kind of what we see. But we'll probably have about 35 or plus uh, startups accepted. And uh, the first place prize, we're giving all the money to the first place person this year. It okay. appears, and it, it'll be twenty thousand dollars in cash and prizes nice. guaranteed guaranteed and that number may grow that's just it originally was 15 and now we have the ability to do 25 and i hope for it to be i hope for it to be even more by showtime but we're we're committing to 25 sure and uh and uh so the format is uh if they go online at sup-x.org and go to the competition button just click on it and it tells you how to apply but uh essentially they have to buy a ticket to to participate and i'll explain why in a minute they buy a ticket uh, then they send a note and say they've applied. Then we give them a Gust link and they submit their application. And then then we sort through the applications at the end of May. And from the typically couple hundred that apply, we'll select the 35. Sure. There'll be booth opportunities for those 35 uh, so that they get to exhibit. And I'll talk about that in a minute. Yep. And, then, and then five that day are announced as the finalist and they'll – go on stage as the final event of SUPEX and pitch before a panel of judges and the judges will select the event winner and we'll hand out the big clown check and run <laughs> off to the bar to cl- have the closing reception. <laughs> so, <laughs> so two questions that I want to preempt and ask myself if it's okay, Kevin, um, yep. why do, why do we start, why do we make people buy a ticket? Okay. Uh, and the reason is, uh, as I said, it's it's my startup, and we're thinly staffed. And when I say thinly, you're talking to the staff. And uh, <laughs> that's you know, awesome, I, though. But we don't. I don't want to sit there and look for at applications from someone in Singapore who has no intention of coming unless they know that they're a finalist. Yeah, fair. And so we want we want people who are serious about participating in the experience of Supex to apply. And bear in mind, if you know you're going to attend, the tickets. Are right now during the early bird period are only fifty nine dollars. Yeah, that's cheap. So it's and we are, as you know, we are purposefully an affordably priced conference. So yeah. that's what that that's why we charge. It's not to gouge people. It's to make sure that serious about serious about participation and to weed out those that are just lobbing something in. And we end up looking at a thousand applications that are mainly you know ideation or phase or something. So that's why we do it. And then it. 
you know, so. No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I was going to ask about cost in a second, but you just kind of covered it. So um, I, I think the other thing that you touched on that's worth mentioning is you do have an exhibit hall and obviously people exhibit in there. But what exactly is that? Because I got a lot of value out of that, um, you know, just kind of talking to people and, and meeting people in there. I thought it was really great. Well, well, I'm glad you enjoyed it, and, and and it's a fun part of the overall experience. I mean, Expo is in our name, so we have about a hundred exhibitors, uh, and so if I, you know, 35 as I said or so, 35 ish will be startups, and the rest will be uh, corporate exhibitors, and then exhibitors from the ecosystem, you know, the startup ecosystem. Right. So accelerators, uh, co work spaces, nonprofits devoted to entrepreneurship, and the like. I mean, it's a festival for startups. So that's who makes the up the exhibitors. And if, you know, if you go to the website and click on exhibition opportunities, or I can't remember what the name of the button is, but there's sponsorship brochure in there. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a sponsorship brochure in there. And, you know, it's, again, it's reasonably priced. There are sponsorships in there from, I think a thousand bucks or 500 for nonprofits all the way up to, you know, $20,000 or something. But, you know, to get a booth generally for a, for a for-profit company, it's like 1250 bucks, yeah. which is pretty reasonable for a one day event with the kind of attendance that we have. But on the subject of booths exhibiting and startups, um, I, one thing that I do notice sometimes at our event and other events and i this is a lesson i'd like to offer the startups into attendance or okay. listening and that is i think in relative to startup competitions that too often the startups involved solely focus on the size of the prizes and sure. not an, and not enough on the value of the exhibition opportunity sure and and frankly if they have a chance at any big event to get the booth, it doesn't matter what the the prize is. I mean, you know, if it's a hundred thousand dollars and fifty people get a table a chance at it, well, your expected monetary value is two grand. I'm promising you that booth or table's worth more than that. Sure. Um, and that's just it sounds so obvious, but so often uh, I see people only look at competitions that have a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, or whatever i don't think it really matters for them what matters is who's in the audience yeah totally <laughs> and, and uh and you know and how, how good of an event is it and it's not solely about meeting investors but it's important to understand you know that a decent number of investors are, show up and we typically get about 20 percent of our audience as accredited investors but you never know what potential partner mm -hmm. you're going to meet what, what potential partner, what potential, you know, client slash customer you're going to meet or future employee like yeah. you just or let or an attorney. Let's say you meet an attorney or accountant and your inclination is, OK, you know, I don't need to meet an attorney or accountant. You don't know who their clients are. Sure. And they do think about that. And so and it it's it's a all it takes is meeting the one right person and though that relationship capital that's how i heard somebody refer to it once relationship capital interesting that, that relationship capital is worth a lot and um and uh and i also think it's just an awesome opportunity although it doesn't feel like it at times to be asked 400 times in a day about your business <laughs> you totally. get you get really efficient at it after a while, and that's good for you. You know, you know. Uh, so I'm 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 a big fan of the exhibition opportunity for the startups. I just think it's it's a it's an experience that some overlook, and and we try to provide it knowing how cool it can actually be for them. Sure. And is there any other advice that you'd give people to you know kind of how to do a conference kind of properly? Because I think a lot of people you know, sometimes go and then they go to the two or three talks that they want to see and then just kind of check out because they're maybe kind of scared to go to networking or go to the exhibit hall and talk to people. But is, do you have any advice how they can kind of get the most out of uh, Subex? I think people interact with conferences based on their personalities. And so there are people that go to conferences and just go to panels. And and it's particularly if there's a technically oriented panel and they're technically oriented, they go to learn sure. or a workshop. And that's a really smart use of your time. And you're learning you're learning what is uh, coming down the pipe for your respective area of expertise. That's a, And that's smart. 
Um, I, on the other hand, go to conferences to network. I like to meet people. And so I I personally don't go to a lot of panels or speeches. I go and interact with all the exhibitors and then the and the people, uh, et cetera. And then there's the healthy in between. So the two extremes are just panels and then people who just network. And then you, you know, combine as much as you like. I, I think I think some people are intimidated by networking as part of the issue too. Totally. And you and I have talked about the subject on other shows. There are better ways to network that take the pressure off you. Sure. Uh, you know, first of all, you don't have to come out of an event with 50 business cards. You know, yeah. what's it? You know, come set a realistic expectation that if you if you were to meet three or four really cool people that day, it would be a great day. If you meet 50, it could be great if you have other purposes, but. Set realistic expectations and uh, have an icebreaker, you know, question in your pocket that's always good to go to. And it's not, why are you here? (laughs) You know, it's, you know, have something, you know, some good, you know, question to ask. Oh, did did you go to the panel? Did you enjoy it? You know, anyway, but icebreaker is always good to have. And uh, I usually suggest standing within about eight paces of the uh, bar with a cocktail in your hand it's great and a smile on your face you'll meet a lot of people that way sure well and i also think too um just kind of in my experience is if maybe bring a friend if you're less of a that's a little bit more outgoing right because they'll haul you around and they'll introduce you you know as, as well right or You've there are come. a variety of places in life, Kevin, that wingmen and cocktails are very, very appropriate. Yeah, very much. So. <laughs> you know, I 100 agree. I, I think, yeah, no, you're you're not wrong. That's you're right, though. I I've actually met a ton of people. You just like you grab a drink and then, you know, um, just start talking to somebody. Right. That's also getting a drink. But but I think the the thing that I want to kind of reinforce again is like the times that I've been to the Supex, like there wasn't that awkward, like everybody was there to kind of network, right? And where I think people were just open to it, right? Where I've never been to another event where it was like that, right? And I'm not just saying that because like you're on the show, but like I truly mean that where you just, I met a ton of people just because like everybody was just kind of there to network. And even if you talk to somebody for like 30 seconds and neither one of you had really anything to add to the other what the other person was doing because you're you know if, if that person was looking to raise or just meet investors and i wasn't an investor it's just like great to me you exchange cards and move on to the next person that's not terrible either right you, yeah i want well, I, th- I think part of that honestly is because the a huge percentage of our attendees are floridians and they're generally friendly people it's been my experience in living here so and they're sure. they're pretty welcoming and and relaxed, uh, you know, it is part of the South. And so I, I think that reflects on kind of the kind of the vibe people get. And, and then we do try to create a relaxed, fun vibe. It's, you know, it's not, you know, some snotty conference and some conferences can be. It's not who's the coolest kid in the crowd kind of thing. You sure. know, it's just it's about people having a great time and and meeting and learning and just really advancing whatever it is they're into. Well, and the other thing too, at least from my experience, is a lot of the speakers and investors and anybody that was kind of on panels or actually like up on stage actually went to the reception and and the party where I find like a lot of times you have a speaker just show up do their talk and then they're out and you never see them kind of before or after and right they're they're escorted uh, yeah escorted by bodyguards or their handlers quickly out the back door to their limo well there's a reason for that we don't pay our speakers okay We, we don't have the budget i mean historically i have funded this and now we're funded by a nonprofit, and so i mean we've got budgets for you know AV and lighting sure, sure, and sure. stuff like that, but we don't have v- budget for entourages and jets and stuff, and and we don't pay speakers fees. So, you know, anybody who speaks at SupeX is coming because they want to be there. Either they recognize, hey, this is a great chance for me to get some publicity or or to, you know, enhance the knowledge of my product or whatever. It's that, and a lot, or some of these people they want that, but they also realize a lot of these people are successful at what they've done and they do want to give back and help other startups. So we tend to get people who are much more 
open to intermingling because they're not getting paid yeah. 15 to 50 grand to show up and give a talk and then pop off in their jet. So, sure. which also keeps the cost down for, for tickets too. Yeah. And, and so what I'll, I'll, I will mention again, I, I don't want to produce a startup conference where it's a thousand bucks for sure. people to go to. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, you know, you can get a ticket to Supex if you're a student for $29. If you're a vet, it's 59. And, uh, you know, our regular price general admission ticket is 99 bucks. Yeah, it's cheap. And for a, and I know it's a one day event, but the quality of the content is, it's competitive. I mean, if you do, you know, business sense, look at other events. I think we stack up well, but we're way cheaper. And, uh, and the reason is we want to be accessible. And we also, you know, while a lot of our attendees are from Florida, we do get people from other states. And, yep. you know, I, I want the startup that's listening in Ohio or Kentucky or, you know, we've had them from the West Coast. I want a startup who really wants a cool event and learn and has a chance to exhibit. I want that startup to knowing that they're going to spend, you know, if you think about it, probably close to a grand by flying there and getting a hotel room for a couple nights, et cetera. Sure. I don't want them to also go, oh, and then I got to pay a thousand dollars for tickets and two of us want to go. It's, yeah. you know, we don't have $5,000 in the budget for this. And so we want, we, the focus of our event is the entrepreneur. Sure. Now we, we want investors there and we love having them there and we have great content for them there. But primarily, we want them there because it enriches the experience for the entrepreneurs, and we, you know it's good deal flow for them. But we they add to the experience. But the entrepreneur is the focus of our event, and therefore we try to make it accessible to them. No, I 100% agree, Bob. I I think that's that's really great. But sadly, we're out of time, so maybe let's close the show with mentioning where people can get more information about Supex. Sure. Thanks. So. Uh, they would simply go to uh, sup-x.org, uh, sup-x.org, and uh, there's pretty much anything they want to know on the website, and uh, I think there's a contact button on there somewhere. Yeah. They could probably email me directly if they needed to, but uh, yeah, that's where they'd learn more, and again, it's on Thursday, July 26th. There'll probably be some unofficial gathering or meetup the night before, Sure. but if the official program starts the next morning at 8.30, it's all day, and then we wrap it up with a closing reception, and there's a VIP party, and uh, and then that's a wrap. Perfect, Bob. Well, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to be on the show and, uh, you know, we'll keep in touch and I look forward to seeing you at uh, Supex. Well, before before we sign off, Kevin, sure. the most important thing, you're emceeing the show. That's correct. I will be there <laughs> emceeing. So if, if not, you'll know two people there if you come. You'll know me and Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait to have you there. Good, good. Looking forward to seeing you, mm, Kevin. Me as well, man. All right. You have a good rest of your day and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit the show's website at buildingthefutureshow.com. Also check us out on Facebook at Building the Future Show and follow us on Twitter at Building Show. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.